Hey Mike, did you know Godzilla's Japanese name is a portmanteau of gorilla and whale? Majide. Day, Westerners' view of Japanese media and culture. I'm Mike. And I'm John. Today our topic is gonna be Godzilla. But first, a new segment appears, John. I'm oh, gonna no. call this one J Culture Ketchup. Let's just uh let's talk a little bit about Japan related things we've done in the last two weeks between recordings. Um I've been mostly watching I've been trying to catch up on some Pokemon stuff. That's about it for the most part recently, aside from preparing for this episode. Okay, not watching any of the current season stuff. Uh, I have been. That was the that was the one thing I tried to catch up on the Sun and Moon from Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I mean they're like I think a dozen episodes ahead of us. Yeah, I haven't. I'm a couple weeks behind ours actually. So I'm uh I'm I was catching up on that. Uh, really liking. It. I th- I feel like. I don't know if we talked on this in the Pokemon episode, but the Sun and Moon style is very... It feels very much like your standard comedic anime, which is a weird... It's, it's a weird shift from the shonen stuff that the old Yeah, style it's really was. slice of lifey now, because he's... But it's also, like, very exaggerated. Yeah, he's... Like, he's barely started the Island Challenge, and we're, like, probably maybe 20 episodes in? 30, last I counted. 33, I think? Well, in the, the American airing, at least. Yeah. Right, um, I think, yeah, 20 or so in the American one. They just did one where a Doug Trio sings with a DJ. That's weird. In the American one, the last one I watched was him getting litten. So, spoilers for Sun and Moon, I guess, but it's a Pokemon series. Also, check out the, check out, if you're checking out it, pay attention to the litten arc. It is probably, it continues the tradition of, like, the, the Charmander and the Chimchar, where he has this really sweet, endearing... And somewhat tragic uh, way of getting the fire starter for yeah. the region. I think Cyndaquil and uh, Tepic did the same thing, something or at least something along that line. Anyway, that's about that's about it for me. Besides Godzilla, I have been catching up with the last season of Dragon Ball Kai because it's been a long time since I uh, watched the Boo Saga. I want to catch up with that before I start on Super. And I've been watching a few things from the season. I've been watching... Yeah, see, uh, I, I think what threw me off is the naming style for the Dragon Ball series. I got Dragon Ball and then Dragon Ball Z. But then after that point, I get confused. And I know one of them is a, a remake series. Dragon Ball Kai is a remaster of Dragon Ball Z with all the filler taken out. That's what it was. So it's about 200 episodes shorter. Um, so the one airing right now is Dragon Ball Kai, the final chapters, which is just the Boo Saga. And then Dragon Ball Super is after Dragon Ball Z. It picks okay. up, uh, I want to say a few years after Boo ends. And then goes to the prologue episode of Dragon Ball Z. Supp- or presumably. It se- from what okay. I've read, it seems like it's heading there. Um, I've also been 
watching season two of My Hero Academia, which I like quite a bit. I, I, well, there's something I was watching that covered it. I think it was, a uh, Pan Pizza over at Rebel Taxi was covering the, some, you know, his favorite new shows that he's been watching. And one of them was My Hero Academia. And hearing it described, it sounds amazing. And I, we yeah. should probably do an episode on it at some point. Yeah, maybe. It's pretty good. It's, uh, for people who don't know, it's kind of like Reverse X-Men. Where people... It's like Sky High. Yeah, kind of, yeah. It's basically, at some point, a mutant gene becomes the dominant gene. It's a very small minority of people who don't have powers in the world. And we're, we follow this one kid who is born powerless. Um, let's see, I've also been watching... My favorite thing I've been watching this season is called Elegant Yokai Apartment Life, which is a big, long name. It's basically a slice of life show about a high schooler who moves into an apartment inhabited by yokai and ghosts. And it's uh, really kind of cute and sweet and just kind of no nice relation all to around. Yokai Watch. No relation to Yokai Watch. Okay. Yeah, I think the title by by Yokai Watch having its the emphasis on that, I feel you know, you, there's always there's always that bit of confusion outside of Japan whether or not something is related. Yep, yokai's been a thing for hundreds of years before yokai exactly. watch. Exactly. <laughs> um, sounds cool. Yeah. And there's a lot of other stuff I'm watching, but those are my big two right now. But let's get into Godzilla. Tell me about Godzilla, yes. John. How did Godzilla start? I want to know everything. Well, Mike, uh, Godzilla originally was planned to be a Japanese World War II film, believe it or not. You see, huh. the, Jap- uh, the, the, to- the the filmmakers over at Toho, and I believe uh, the director, was it Eiji Tsubaraya the dire- what, that was the director? Eiji Tsubaraya was the special effects guy. That's who, yeah. He's, he's um, the father of Tokusatsu, which includes like Ultraman and Super Sentai and Kamen Rider. Tokusatsu itself meaning special effect. But that's a whole other episode, I think. But yeah, he's involved. This is a big deal. This is the first Tokusatsu the 54 Godzilla. Let me pull up the director because I forgot to write it in the notes. Ishiro Honda yes. is the director. But uh, he was planning to do a Japanese World War II film set during the occupation of Indonesia. And they were all denied visas to go to shoot there. So instead, um, I be- I'm not sure if it was Eiji or Ishiro who came up with the idea, but... They were all fans of uh, the 1953 B... I guess you'd call it B-movie, but it's a monster movie based off a Ray Bradbury short story called The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. And it featured a stop-motion fake giant dinosaur running through the city. And it was was from the... I believe it was from... Not Ray Harryhausen. He hasn't come up yet by this point. I think it's still... uh, Really? When was Harryhausen? I remember Will... Will O'Brien was earlier. I know he was the inspiration for Harryhausen. Let's see where when was Harryhausen? Harryhausen was. I know he was the sixty. So here, beast uh, from that seems about right, judging by his lifespan. Uh, oh, he only died really recently. I know he lasted for a long time. No, this was beast from twenty thousand fathoms was Harryhausen. Okay, very early Harryhausen, and um the and the guys over at Toho and especially the you know the. The uh, writers and the director here really liked that movie and wanted to do something in that vein, as you know, as, as well as the Willis O'Brien King Kong. You know, they liked that idea of a giant monster, mm-hmm. and they wanted to do their own take on it. And so, 
uh, as they were coming up with ideas of how to do a monster movie, eventually one of the filmmakers came up with the idea to make it an allegory for the atomic, bo- you know, for the bombings of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. As well as commentary on the nuclear testing that was going on in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. And so that eventually be- became part of the storyline. And eventually you got Gojira. Gojira? Yeah, Gojira. Yeah. Um, which was a portmanteau of Goji, which is uh, Gorira, uh, which is, you know, gorilla. Kat- katakana for a gorilla, and Kojira, Just which whale. is... Just whale, so gorilla whale. Uh, but and it and initially it did receive some pushback because there were certain critics in uh, the Japanese film industry who thought that making a monster movie set against the idea of the you know the disasters at Hiroshima and Nagasaki was in poor taste. But mm-hmm. for the most part, people you know took it as a very well intentioned and very well meaning commentary on that, as well as being this you know, a really effective monster movie. I mean, compared to a lot of the stuff that was coming out at that time, it's not, it's not all that, it's not really all that bad. Like, it's not very cheesy. It's, you know, it's a bit melodramatic in some parts with the human drama, but the stuff with the monster is some of the best of that era. And then eventually, uh, in order to adapt it to the West after so much success in Japan, uh, I forget which studio did it. Uh, let me pull up King of the Monsters. I want to guess uh, MGM, but I'm not sure. Embassy Pictures. Not somebody I ever heard of. But, um, yeah, the you know, it caught the eye of uh, American film producers, and they, and they wanted to bring this over to America, but they knew there was not going to be any way, especially, you know, this is... 10 years after the war, you mm-hmm. know, after the war was going on. So there was no way that they were going to be able to do a straight up full showing of a Japanese movie for American audiences. So they cut it down. I, I, they cut out a lot of the, the stuff from the first movie and then re- redubbed it and added in new segments featuring Raymond Burr, who was a popular actor at the time. It's very strange a, production. Yeah. Uh, and, and Raymond Burr plays a, a journalist for a, some sort of associated press style thing where he's a correspondent from Japan and he goes over to report on his friend Dr uh, either either Dr. Mane or Dr. Sarazawa he's friends with somebody from the original from the actual movie but um he he's going over there to report on their findings and they're talk like they cut out most of the disaster stuff and they cut right to him at the hearing for some reason, you know, that's how they cut it. And then they have a couple of Japanese actors, uh, Japanese-American actors. And, and uh, <laughs> there's a lot of shots in the backs of people's heads, too. <laughs> you know, so it's Raymond Burr and then the back of somebody's head that you're supposed to assume is the Japanese actor. Yeah. But um, and then Raymond Burr is there in Tokyo during the attack. But I think the initial scare, like, it, uh, most of it is is just he's there in Tokyo they're reporting on the monster, and then he attacks. And then it's the aftermath, and then Dr. Sarazawa with the oxygen destroyer. So they cut out most of the, most of the you know, excess, as yeah. you would, and made it more, more like a traditional B-movie. Mm-hmm. But both of those were successful enough to warrant, especially in uh, the original Gojira, was, was uh, successful enough to warrant just an onslaught of sequels. And then eventually... We're at the point now where we have 
multi, you know, these multiple eras of Godzilla through Toho. Uh, the Showa period, which is from the original Gojira to 1975, that ended with Terror of Mechagodzilla. The Heisei period, uh, which is from the 1984 Godzilla Returns. Uh, I forget what it was called over there. Uh, but it was a 1984 Godzilla re- kind of remake-ish, but or, or like a sequel sort of story uh-huh. that continued onward until Godzilla vs. Destroya, which ended on this big cliffhanger of Godzilla, you know, Godzilla dying in a big radioactive cloud, which then led into Godzilla 2000 uh, and the Millennium Period, which lasted until 2004's 50th anniversary special Final Wars. And now we're at the point where there's there's no specific term for it. It's just the reboot era, which started with uh, Shin Godzilla last year. Now, I notice these dates don't match up to the time periods that show on Heisei are. Is it safe to assume that they did like a common Rider where they just take the stuff that fits more with that period stuff, even if it doesn't match up with the years? Um, I'm not sure about that. I just know those were the dates because... The periods go with the movie. The Showa period had okay. a certain style to it, and okay, then so it the Heisei like period um, took a darker, darker tone, especially okay. with um, and more style, and it was more mo- and it was more about Godzilla being a, a, a destructive force. And then the Millennium period had that more Showa style to it, especially with stuff like uh, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, all monsters attack. Okay, because the Heisei period. As a date started in 1989, so I was just just wanting to check to see what was up with that. Okay, this, so but they yeah, include, that makes sense. So they start with uh, Biolante. They don't start with the re- the sequel remake, whatever. Okay, but it's, the 1984 Godzilla. Yeah, but it seems to be more of a stylistic grouping. Yeah, it's a, it's it's more of a denotation of style. Okay, that's how it is. Else. That's how it is. Common writer just wanted to make sure. Yeah, um, and then. With that, with the with all of the Toho official movies, you've also got two versions of Godzilla made in a, made for American film: the much reviled and lambasted 1998 Roland Emmerich version, uh, and the current iteration uh, in American cinema done two, uh, three years ago with Godzilla by Legendary Pictures and the start of their MonsterVerse which got its second entry this year with Kong Skull Island. And yeah. they're building up a, an American-style version of what is essentially the monsters from Toho, the, the Toho Godzilla monsters. Yeah, and I think they, like wa- the next- they want to put, like, uh, King Ghidorah and stuff in the next Godzilla, don't they? Next one, Godzilla King of the Monsters, is supposed to be... God- it's supposed to be essentially uh, Ghidorah, King, uh, Ghidra, the three-headed monster, uh which is Godzilla, Rodan, and Mothra fighting King Ghidorah. Okay. But yeah. That's what, it, that's what the rumors are saying. Okay. Because they tease Mothra and Rodan at the end of Kong. Okay. Uh, well, they teased Mothra, or maybe not a tease, but they had a little reference to Mothra in yeah. Godzilla as well. Yeah, the legendary, uh, if you know what to look for, those that legendary one has a lot of good uh, Easter eggs in it. Yeah, it seems like... They put a lot of care into that one. It's cl- pretty clearly by Godzilla fans, as opposed to oh yeah, the well, Roland Emmerich one. I'm, who I'm just not gonna. Made... I'm not gonna say that that one wasn't made by fans per se, because I don't know. But it uh, was not, not really. I don't think Roland Emmerich was a fan of anything else. Anything really. I mean, he may be a fan of 
old, I don't know what, but yeah, he, I think he's a fan of like American cinema and Hollywood in general, but he's yeah, not really I'd, a fan of Godzilla, it seems. Yeah, or else he, I wasn't you know, sure, he so I didn't want to. gotten a better movie. <laughs> I didn't want to push judgment on him. Maybe he just made a bad one. Uh, and Roald Deberg makes a lot of bad movies. He's yeah. more, he's more like those filmmakers that made Towering Inferno and The Poseidon Adventure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but with those, those with you know, but outside of the movies, Godzilla ha- also had five appearances on on TV on various TV shows. Uh, there was the Japanese show Zone Fighter that he appeared on, which was kind of an Ultraman style uh, Tokusatsu show. Um. There was the Hanna Barbera animated series from the seventies that, in- that introduced us to Godzuki. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something called Godzilla Island, which I hadn't heard of, but was a Zone Fighter sequel series that took place on Monster Island. Uh, there was the two thousands era animated show for WB that was based on the Roland Everett movie, which is actually pretty good. You know, standard monster. It was a good show. I watched a lot show. of that one. Yeah. I remember, like, I, I wish it was still available on Netflix. It was on Netflix for the longest time, and then they let it go. But it's a, it's a, it's a really decent show. They even try to do a, this, the, the second season has, like, a whole Monster Wars thing where it tries to do, introduce characters that are analogous to other Toho monsters in mm-hmm. it. And then uh, there's an anime coming to Netflix later this year in Is November. There? So there's, a, and I'm assuming in the same style, the Castlevania at, uh would you call it an anime because it because of the style, or is it not technically anime because it's made by Westerners? I mean, anime is technically just the word for cartoons in Japan because they they call Western stuff just Western anime over there. So it depends on if you want to okay. go by our conventions or theirs. Uh, okay, so yeah, um, the Godzilla one is a proper anime, even. Yeah. It's done yeah, by that's... Toho Anime. Oh, it's done by Polygon. Okay. Uh, they're the ones who Wait, did... Wait, Polygon as in the game No, Polygon, Polygon Pictures. They did Transformers Prime. Uh, they okay. did Tron Uprising. Short, very short-lived, but still good show. Tron Uprising is good. They did the anime Knights of Cydonia, which I liked the first season of. I didn't watch the second one. But they've done some good, they've done some good work. So this they've... is a... You know... A true anime in the sense because it is a you know a Japanese studio in charge in charge of the production. Yeah, and it looks like it's written by Gen Urobuchi, who wrote uh, Madoka and Fate Zero and Kamen Rider Gaim. So it has some pedigree to it, which is cool. Nice. Um, but that and but aside from that, he also had. Long run, you know, long running stints since the seventies in comics. Um, there's some independent stuff along the way, but the big ones are Marvel, wherein he actually does fight the Avengers. So the Toho monsters were part of the Marvel universe during the seventies, mm-hmm. and then there's the really well received Dark Horse uh, ones, where there's a good one I remember from that time period where he went back in time. That was really interesting, and it was like a period pieces where Godzilla would appear at like the Titanic, and in uh, various other like I think he appeared as during an era of pirates or something. But it was like Godzilla was stuck in a time loop, and he had to you know just go do Godzilla stuff on his way home. And it was more like a way of doing like Godzilla in period piece sort of thing. And then currently he's 
own, uh, the license is owned by IDW, who's been doing some decent stuff with him. I know uh, Matt Frank, uh, the artist, is a is a huge Godzilla and Kaiju fan, and he had you know had the opportunity to, to draw it, and he's done some amazing. He just does some amazing artwork. Um, but yeah, and then of course there's the various video games that haven't always been that great. There is one coming out uh, this year in Japan. It's not announced for America yet, which is very disappointing. Called City Shrouded in Shadow, which is I don't know if you've heard of them. They're made by the people who did the Disaster Report games. Not familiar with. And that one. basically, you are a person in a city that is being attacked by giant monsters or in an Ultraman fight and you're tr just trying to survive in the city while this stuff is going on. And looks... sounds, it sounds like a Cloverfield style. Like if Cloverfield was a video game. Yeah, and it, it looks really cool. And the Disaster Report games I like a lot. They're a little janky because they're like low-budget Japanese games. But this one has like straight-up licensed Godzilla and Ultraman and Gamera in it. Nice. So I'm um, looking forward to it. I'll import it if it doesn't come out over here. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you've also you've got things like the the Game Boy Godzilla game, which was notoriously bad. The one that was recently done for PS3 was apparently really janky and not all that great. Um. I heard that one's a, a good PS4. Godzilla simulator, but it's not a good video game. Exactly. Um. And then like they've tried to do like you'd think it would be easy. Have good monster fighting mechanics and then include all of the Toho monsters, but they're always kind of eh, not great gameplay. Destroy all monsters for the GameCube was okay. Yeah, that was probably the best. The sequel that they did for 360, though, was did not bit, play it that was one. Like, yeah, it wasn't as they tried to include a better story, but it was it's was, you know it wasn't quite the same. Uh, but anyway, and then lastly, Godzilla has also made appearances in commercials. Uh, there's the most infamous one where Charles Barkley uh, played basketball with Godzilla. So that you have a giant, like, 50-meter-tall Charles Barkley in a Nike commercial playing basketball with Godzilla who puts on sunglasses. Like, big novelty sunglasses. Yep, everyone's seen that one, I hope. Uh, there's a Dr. Pepper commercial back in the day. Uh, there's one I found for Poutine Milk Pudding. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one for La 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 Karaoke VCR mm -hmm. that, Godzilla that Godzilla did a thing for where he was singing karaoke. And then most recently, there was the Snickers campaign. I do where, remember that. Where he's, you're not you if you're hungry, so if you want to have fun, normal-sized Godzilla, you give him Snickers. Yep. And I'll try and uh, find all these commercials and put them in a playlist and link those in the show notes. Um, exactly. Along with whatever they're, materials they're I can find related to the stuff. I'll make a nice little playlist for y'all. But that leads us to where we are now, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we have a story to tell before we get to the break. And it's from Jim Hansen, who says, I took my kid to the two newest Godzilla movies, the American one and Shin Godzilla. She's very disappointed in the American one because there is not nearly enough monster fighting and too much talking. But she liked Shin Godzilla a lot. It was a little scary, but she was super excited to see it and cheered when, well, all of the stuff happened. She was born in 2009, so you can do the math and see how bad of a parent I am. <laughs> I don't know, that sounds pretty fine to me. 
Yeah, seven, I, I would take a seven-year-old to Shin Godzilla. Shin Godzilla... The only thing about Shin Godzilla is... it. I'd be surprised if a seven-year-old could pay attention, because there's a lot of talking in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised. Maybe she wasn't... Maybe she was more distracted because it was uh, Japanese talking and not American talking. Maybe. Because I, I, I did also watch Shin Godzilla in addition to our reading list, just to... Yeah. To get an anchor yeah, on that. What, exactly. But... Yeah, there's a lot of talking very fast in that movie. I did get another um, note on my uh, post about the questions, and, and uh, this one comes in from Vanessa Farmer, who says, uh, Late to respond, but does my husband having a, Godz a Godzilla tattooed on his knuckles count as a Godzilla story? Yes. <laughs> so uh, apparently her husband uh, got the big G tattooed on his knuckles. Uh, I'm not sure if it's just the name or if he actually had like if if, it, if the knuckles one put together like make his face or well, that's yeah don't that's, forget to follow up on that for us yeah Ali Shantz writes in I called my best friend during college still which was short for Godzilla because our first year living together she played on a club volleyball team that was all Mung and her a six foot tall blonde they made the joke first and the nickname stuck. One Halloween, she went as a Godzilla. I painted her face and spiked her hair up with green hairspray. Thanks for the story, Allie. That's, that's pretty good. My boss's son. He has a medical issue that has really taken its toll on his face. He, however, doesn't let it get him down. However, it also has mental issues that surface because of it. So he's super stubborn and doesn't talk much. He has had a lot of surgeries, and whatever we can do to get him to just do what is needed is a chore. So what we do is bribe him. He absolutely loves Godzilla. He can talk for hours about Godzilla. He has watched all of the Godzilla movies. All of them. So we use Godzilla as a way to get him to cooperate. Also, he will be getting a Godzilla vs. King Kong wall mural painted by me in his room soon. With just a hint of kaiju. But thanks for those stories, guys. If you want your story read, be sure to comment on our Facebook page, or send us an email, and we'll give you those deets at the end of the podcast. But for now, let's take a little break. Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and if you like movies, you'll probably like the Popcorn Junkie Podcast. Every week, I review the movies that come out in theaters talk a little bit about what I've been watching on streaming, and give discussions on Hollywood and filmmaking in general. So if you want to join in the discussion, you can find me on GumbyCatNetworks.com slash popcorn dash junkie, or just search Popcorn Junkie and find my orange mug staring at the movies chomping on some popcorn, along with the Gumby Cat logo at the bottom for all the up-to-date podcasts in your podcast provider. And we're back, and let's talk about our reading list for the week. We watched the 1954 Godzilla and the 2014 Legendary Godzilla. So I assume you've seen both these before, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I saw um, Legendaries in, in theaters. I think I was able to see uh, Gojira in limited release when they did an anniversary showing of the original Japanese version. With footage unseen by American audiences. This was like back towards, I think, the 50th anniversary. 
Okay. But I I'd, I'd seen the uh, 2014 yeah. one. I want I went to the drive-in to see that one. As did I the 1998 one. I've seen both of the American Godzillas at the drive-in. I've seen just about every Godzilla movie except I think the Sea Monster with Ebiro and That is the that's swamp. one of the the Sea Monster is one of the few that I've seen. Yeah, the really rare early Showa stuff I haven't seen. I, I you know I've been able to see the stuff from uh, the Heisei and the Millennium period, even though it never really got a lot of dis- distribution in the U.S. thanks to Suncoast Video. Yeah, I feel like I rented Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster like fifty times from Blockbuster because I very specifically remember my parents telling me to stop getting that movie. <laughs> I don't even remember my blockbuster having that. I think they only had the big ones like King Kong and the and the King of the Monsters. And I the recall ours having stuff. a pretty big Godzilla section for whatever reason. It's good, yeah. There you go. Yeah, the fanboy has a manager. I'm guessing. But yeah, I'd never seen Fifty Four before. Um, I've prob I've probably seen the Raymond Burr one. I don't remember. And I I also watched, like I said earlier, I watched Shin Godzilla, and I'd never seen that before. But yeah, so I'm I'm pretty fresh on Godzilla. I just watched these two today. Uh, I watched them through Fandango now, which uh, is a, it's, what it's is interesting. That? It's Fandango's try- Fandango is trying to get into the streaming game. It's more like it's not like Netflix. You don't subscribe. It's more like iTunes, Google Play, like an Amazon Voodoo. Prime type thing. Exactly. Although Amazon Prime offers free stuff, uh, Fandango now you have to pay for everything. Okay, not the Godzillas weren't on the free Amazon Prime though. <laughs> Exactly. But Amazon so, uh, Prime does have the X-ray feature, which I got with uh, Legendary Godzilla, and it's very nice to have on there. Oh yeah, I love that X-ray feature. It was I loved it uh, when I watched um, uh, Silver Bullet. It was an interesting thing to watch alongside and get all that back background information. Yeah. Uh, that original one, like I said, I think it's it's probably you know it's not as trashy as people make it out to be, although. Maybe it was for audiences at the time, especially juxtaposed against destructive footage that was meant to uh, resonate with people who had survived those, uh, survived the atomic bomb. Yeah, but at the same time, so, it's a very well put together. It's it's very much a 1954 Japanese horror movie. It's very yeah, that, that old style of Japanese horror. Yeah, it's very. It's much more like a horror movie than a monster. Because that's the thing, at that time period in the, especially in the U.S., monster movies were more hokey. They were yeah. B movies. They were cheesy stuff like the thing from another world. Or them. Or, them. Um, them's the one with the ants, right? Them's the one with the ants. Or there's you know the giant Gila monster, the one with the giant tarantula, which is Blob. just a tarantula on a small thing. Yeah, all that stuff was was meant to be like scary looking. But all the storylines are cheesy as hell. They're so and they acted so poorly. Whereas here, yeah, it's it's you know, I, I there's a lot of acting done in this movie that you see in act you know Japanese cinema today. So it's not like it was played straight for the most part. Yeah, as far as I could tell. And movies from this era, with the exception of some of the the Kurosawa stuff that's set con- in contemporary times. Uh, Including this one, I feel is more has more in common with some of the older stuff, where the acting is uh, almost more like a traditional play, almost where it's very deliberate, 
the way they say things. It's a very slow paced in the dialogue and the action and everything. It rem- exactly. it reminded me of like the old period Japanese horror movies I'd seen. They're set in like the Edo period or the Heian period. It's interesting. Oh yeah, and uh especially I I feel like without that I I'd like their their idea to make it an allegory for atomic testing and for atomic warfare was spot on and it's probably why it's so you know revered and well regarded in the to this day whereas stuff like stuff like Gamera, Rodan, the other monster movies they were doing at the time none of those really hit the mark cuz they're more traditional monster movies, B movies yeah. whereas Gojira was the one that tried to be something a little bit more than your standard fair it wanted to try and make like even aside from the atomic bomb stuff there's references to the japanese culture being you know modernized and how you in that fishing village they're only doing one old school ceremony anymore yeah and how they you know for that first act it feels you know there's commentary on the idea of the japanese people losing their culture as they modernize and technically westernize yeah and this movie takes place only Ten years after the end of the war. So you see Japan that's very, very different to what we have now. It's still pretty similar to what Meiji-era Japan would have looked like. Uh, There's a lot more people in traditional dress just wearing that as their normal thing. There's a lot more Japanese-style buildings than there are Western-style. It's a nice little time capsule. I like it. Mm Mm-hmm. I will say, like, the score for this... uh... Let me get the uh, Akira Ifukube. Um, yeah, the, he's, his score, like, there's a reason they continued to use those the stuff from this movie in the in throughout the entire franchise. They're they're just so iconic from the bum 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 that main theme to the the march whenever there's a tank whenever the tanks are rolling out mm-hmm. to um, the the actual Godzilla march when he's going through the city, bum, 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 bum. like this, everything about those are so perfect. Like they're so maybe it's just because I've watched Godzilla for so long that those tunes are embedded into my memory, but they just they they click so well, and I can see why they want to continue to use them in the as the franchise went on. Yeah, um, and the. The special effects, of course, because it's the first tokusatsu, those really set it apart from its contemporaries in the various subjects and the big monster stuff and in horror in general. Because the other giant monster stuff, they tend to use like the Harryhausen stop motion type stuff. Whereas this used like actual squibs, it used a guy in a suit instead of stop motion. So it looks, it doesn't have that kind of hokey fast motion feel to it or the stop motion feel it feels there was way more scene, organic um yeah for the most part yeah there's like there's, there's a scene when the clip. tail was moving that was that weird fast oh motion. i didn't notice that but i know the one i've always seen whenever they show clips of it is a car rolling over the fire truck during his attack on tokyo that is it, it, it very clearly turns into stop motion for a for a quick second and then cuts right back yeah and then but like 
Yeah. I don't know how they did it. There's a there's the scene where he uh, burns down the electrical towers, mm-hmm. and for the life of me, I've never like did they did they just take actual metal and heat it up or, but the way because the way bed looks so perfectly realistic. It's the magic of Tokusatsu. There's exactly. a, there's a reason that Eiji Tsuburaya, like, got big. He's good at what he did. Uh, there's actually a book. Let me pull it up. I don't know why I clicked off of it because I had it ready to say this. It's called Eiji Tsuburaya, Master of Monsters, Defending the Earth with Ultraman, Godzilla, and Friends in the Golden Age of Japanese Science Fiction Film. Um, nice. I haven't read it personally, but I have gotten good recommendations from people whose opinions on the stuff I trust, that it's a good book. And you can get it on Amazon. It's on Prime. So you can order it and get it in a couple days. And also good Amazon ratings. So check that out if you're interested in Tokusatsu. I'm actually probably going to buy that book as soon as I have the money to buy the book. Looks like there's some good pictures and stuff in there, too. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's about all I have to say on the original. I mean, I will say, like, the weakest point is probably the love triangles aspect of it. Yeah. Where, um, where, yeah, where the, like, there's a whole bit where, nothing, uh, though. yeah, exactly. I mean, that's more just, like, you know, my, my issue with the idea of love triangles in general. I feel like, at the time, it was probably nothing, but by now, the idea of a love triangle is so rote. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it's like it feels like a cheap way to have drama in your story. Yeah, you know, oh no, who am I gonna go with? <laughs> you know, it feels very easy to write. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I I, I dug it. I you know, um, and 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 then uh, I guess we talk about legendary. Yeah, let's talk about legendary Godzilla. Uh, yeah, I like I like it. I rewatched it. The biggest note I have, holy shit is this movie dark. Not, I mean, literally dark. Yeah, like, it's, it's low it light. Is, it, 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 and I hear that um, the guy's original movie, Monsters, I, I believe this is Gareth Edwards, he had a movie come out in, I think, 2010, maybe? Let me pull it up. What else? But he had, a, his, he, he had an original movie called Monsters, where he, it was, you know, it was like this. It was... Uh, it was it was down in Mexico, and it was the the military and a couple of civilians against giant, you know, some um, uh, not giant monsters, but like you know, more like uh, like the size of the beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, where it's a cup, where it's about like fifty feet, thirty to fifty feet tall. Mm. But the complaint there was was the same that you get with this Godzilla movie that there are, you know, that all this you can't see the monster. Yeah, the monster's not there. Or that he's being hidden. Uh, but that's fine with Godzilla, I think. I feel like there was... I, I know um, Pacific Rim suffered from this a bit, too. Pacific where, Rim had a lot of problems, I felt. Yeah, and I feel like... The, I feel like it's just a cheap way to cut down on the CG budget. Where, okay, if we don't show this or we show this on TV so it's smaller and in lower quality, then we then we can get away with it. But at the and same time, like, the original Godzilla, you only see him for what, like fifteen minutes? That whole thing tops. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, I get that. I get that. But at the same time, you could also make him out like the, the way they've shot um, that original fight, where not a fight, but that original um, 
sequence where it's it's at night, but he's underlit. He's always underlit, so yeah. you make out that silhouette. Here, you can barely if you unless you've got a really high quality, uh, you know, setup where you can make out the you know we can have good contrast. You can barely make out anything anymore with with it. It's so much is hidden in darkness to the point where you can't make out the monster, and I feel like that's where the problem is. Yeah, the lighting. I think the lighting in general was an issue, but I really like the design of the Godzilla from this one. Oh yeah. He's, oh yeah, the, the, he's the, almost him and the cuddly, fire. And... I want to say he has like a, heard, a very uh, bear-like face. Yeah, yeah. I've heard um, the one thing going around at the time. What the meme going on was: "Don't fat shame Godzilla." Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he. It. I. I dig the design. I dig the use of fire. The way they made his fire look like, because the fire has gone from being smoky, like almost like a fire extinguisher look in the original to looking like a laser beam here. Yeah. It looks like a stream of fire. Yeah. And it was the, it was the same blue color and they only used it at the end fight, which, um, you know, you could, you know, a lot of people, like I get why, uh, Jen's daughter complained because when you're thinking Godzilla, you're thinking the show period where it's like all of the monster fighting all of the time. Cause that was the focal point. Yeah. Whereas here they're trying to do something more along the lines of, the original Gojira, where there was a story being told. Yeah, uh, and that, when that fire time, gets used, it's a big deal. Exactly, especially that money shot at the end. It's so it perfect. really good. There are a lot of good shots in this. Like the the scene where the overhead shot with Godzilla swimming and all the aircraft carrier around him, just kind of oh, escorting yeah. him. I really love that shot. I, I love his and hit the way he comes to Honolulu and the, all of the something you've never really seen before because Godzilla's never seen to show, never shown to really affect the physical world around him except when he's destroying buildings. Mm-hmm. But the idea that this big thing is coming up and it's sucking the water out to sea and then it's going to come rush against the land because it's so massive. Yeah, that that sequence is is really good. The only other thing is, uh, I feel like the uh, the what really did this movie in initially was the over marketing of uh, Brian Cranston. Yeah, he's barely in it. Exactly, he's a supporting character, but they made because he was on Breaking Bad and he was so well regarded and so you know people know who he is. They marketed the hell out of him being in the movie. Honestly, they and probably like- over marketed Ken Watanabe too. Exactly, because he's barely in it too. But although he does, he does play Sarah Doctor Sarazawa. So that was a nice touch. That was a nice little Easter egg. Yeah, he's he's actually named after the director of the original as well as Sarazawa from the original. So wait, was Sarazawa the character named after? No. So Sarazawa was the eye patch man from the original, right? And Ken Watanabe's character was named Ishiro Sarazawa. The Ishiro's Ooh, after Ishiro nice. Honda. Honda. Honda, yeah. Night. That's see that this just these 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 are a bunch of fanboys writing this thing. Yeah, this one definitely um, you can tell had love in it. But the like the biggest weakness in the whole movie is Aaron Taylor Johnson. He is not great. Uh, this is he, this is the worst I've ever seen. And the kid's not a bad actor either. I say kid. I think he's like my age. <laughs> uh, let me pull him up. Uh, Nineteen ninety. So he's two years younger than me. But like. Uh, when he played quick, that's the other thing. Cause just after this, uh, him and Elizabeth Olsen, who are husband and wife in this movie, go on to play brother and sister in Avengers Age of Ultron. 
as a Quicksilver and uh, Scarlet Witch. Uh, but apparently he was a young Charlie Chaplin in The Illusionist. Uh, he was in Nowhere Boy. Anna Karenina. Uh, yeah, I mean... Oh, he was just in uh, Nocturnal Animals. Uh, that movie with um, Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, where it's a woman reads her ex-husband's manuscript... And the and um, Aaron Taylor Johnson plays like this murderer, like uh, boom, like wait, guy who lives out of the boonies, like he's some hillrod who murders this guy's wife, and it the guy's played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who's also a um, a surrogate for the author. So the Jake Gyllenhaal is playing the author and the main character in the book. Huh, and that's weird. It's 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 interest. It's a very interesting thing because you've got. You've got all of these flashbacks as Amy Adams is flashing back to her life with Jake Gyllenhaal, the author, while also reading his manuscript where Jake Gyllenhaal plays the main character who, and at the same time, you also get to see why, where she got to where she is as a, you know, as a, as a somewhat famous, uh, Los Angeles art gallery collector, owner, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but she, you know, she manages an art gallery. And it's it's an interesting movie, um, but yeah, it, so I mean, the kid's a good actor, but what happened? I don't know. Like, I mean, how did he get so bad? May it might be Gareth Edwards, because I feel like some of the acting in Rogue One was maybe a little lackluster too. So yeah, I, maybe, I can he, see that. I mean, he's hasn't done much directing. He's only done a handful of things. But I mean, his biggest stuff before Godzilla and Rogue One was Monsters, like I said, and that was a low, low budget movie. Yeah, like so. I think he made everything for like five million dollars on his personal laptop or something. Yeah, so it um, it could be a direction so yeah. problem. And he says his one of his influences George Lucas, and that's not a good I influence can, to have as a director, especially if you want to direct actors. Um. <laughs> uh, or right. $4.2 million budget. No, $500,000 budget. So yeah, Monsters was real cheap. So okay. yeah, this, the, Gareth Edwards may be one of these guys who, like Lucas, is great on visuals for the most part. But, but not anything else at all. Apparently not. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's what it is. I mean, uh, Elizabeth Olsen... Is does okay. Like she's not. This isn't her best work either. Brian Cranston is giving it his damn all. Him and Watanabe are just like all in on this. Yeah. Well, they don't do anything bad. They they. I don't see. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen that either of them half ass something. Even when Brian Cranston is doing stupid shit for like Funny or Die, he's putting in everything. Yeah. Well, he only he he's big enough that he only has to take stuff he wants to do. So. Well, shoot. Even back in the day when he was doing. Freaking Power Rangers dubs. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> he how, was doing. He that's how you get big. Exactly, you're putting you 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 putting the work, and Brian Cranston puts in the work and everything. But uh, yeah, um, I will say I'm excited to see. I really hope that they improve and they come up with. I think that also didn't help that the just his character, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson's character was pretty boring. I mean, he's just a soldier on the ground. He's he's like a blank slate. Yeah. He's supposed to be the audience avatar kind of thing, and unfortunately, sometimes the best way to sometimes it's better just to leave that character out and just make an actual character mm -hmm. in it instead, and just make it about the like you didn't really need like 
Luke was kind of the avatar character for the audience as he began to learn about the uh, you know the world around him after he left the moisture farm. But he was still a character. He still had yeah. you know intre- you think you know motivations and he had personality. He, the Aaron Taylor Johnson in this movie is a nothing really. I mean, he's a nice guy who helps a Japanese kid at the airport in Honolulu. Other than that, he he doesn't really do anything except stare blankly into the middle distance. Now, is Edwards in charge of the whole Godzilla series, or is it just this one? Uh, he w- is returning to direct King of the Monsters, but I don't think he's in charge of the franchise. Okay. I don't think he's like uh, he's not the um, Kevin Feige of the legendary MonsterVerse. Okay. Let's say I th- I forget who it is. Um, I don't even know if there's a there's a guy in charge. It might not be. It may just be Legendary Pictures in general. Yeah, because they're doing Kong versus Godzilla at some point too, right? Exactly. They're going to remake King Kong versus Godzilla, which is going to be interesting. Yeah, especially I'm not since sure uh, I feel... that, that they're going to there's going to be uh that means that there's going to be a fifty some odd year gap between when Kong Skull Island took place and the present, where Godzilla takes place. I haven't seen Skull Island. Is it good? It's really it's it's I mean it's it's much more fun than uh, Godzilla, and you can see the one thing that movie has is wait a minute. This one says Michael Doherty is directing King of the Monsters, so maybe Gareth Edwards is out. Maybe I did hear. But it's the I same heard a lot, quite a bit of negative about same, this one. So, uh, but it's a uh, it's the same writer from Godzilla who also helped to write on Kong Skull Island, Max Borenstein. Okay. Um, so it's the same writer throughout this. So I'm guessing he's gonna kind of be the the, the, like the driving, the creative driving force behind yeah. this. Because other than this, all he's done is he's done Godzilla, Kong. He's slated to do King of the Monsters, and he wrote some episodes of Minority Report for for TV. Okay. But yeah, I mean, so I guess if Edward is out, we might actually see what's happening in King of the Monsters. But that's the other thing. Kong Skull Island is. It's they cut out the idea of the the blonde love interest character because I mean he cuts King Kong is Godzilla sized in this he is enorm- he is like he is a skyscraper you know he's not a thirty foot tall gorilla this time he is gigantic okay so it's more about him fighting on the island and Samuel L Jackson going bug nuts and trying to kill him it's fun it's okay. a lot of fun it's one of my favorite movies this year I'll check it out. Definitely. Um, I think that's about it. Uh, do we want to do a quick thing about Shin Godzilla? Because um, I remember most of it. I just haven't seen uh, it since it came out. I mean, we don't have to say too much. It's directed by the director of Evangelion. And you can very much tell that it's a Hideaki Anno film. Um, there's a lot of talking in it. It's a lot of commentary on the bureaucracy in Japan. Yeah. I know it's, that was the it, big thing. It almost felt to me like a commentary on how the government handled the Fukushima that was That was the big thing, and that's what I've heard people say is the is the is, is whereas the first movie commented on atomic testing and, and the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, this one is more about the disaster at Fukushima and how mismanaged it was. Yeah, uh, but it, it I liked it quite a bit. It's probably my favorite out of these three, because oh yeah, it's, Anno it's the found ba- it's... he found a way to make like bureaucrat squabbling 
exciting somehow. A lot of interesting angles and interesting music to go behind stuff. It was very, very good. And I really love, I love the look of Godzilla in this. Oh, God. Shin Godzilla's appearance is just nightmarish. And it it makes sense. I mean, the guy is, isn't the guy kind of known for these weirder designs? Yeah. In his work? He's got, he's fucked up. He does lots of that shit. Um, that was the other thing I wanted to say. Uh, oh, the other thing I noticed during the, especially during the dialogue and, and during the second act, uh, or second half maybe, um, it was a lot. There's a lot of commenting about uh, Japanese, uh, not independence, but um, the idea of of Japan being master of its own destiny instead of taking the taking orders from America or the UN or Europe or wherever. They wanted to be in charge of their own core of their own, of what of what they did. Yeah, it was very, it was very good. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a great way to start off this new era of Godzilla. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I'm I super don't know how they continue from this. The way it ended, though, I'm assuming they're. Pro- it's probably going to be. This is probably going to be more like um, GMK, where it's a one shot, and then they're going to try and tell a new story next time. Like how, Whereas, like how, yeah. like with the original, how that Godzilla died, and another. They say at the end, another exactly. one might appear. Exactly, and now, and this is more just like, oh, here's a cool, like, Elseworlds Godzilla story where it's more realistic, and now we're going to go back to our standard style tokusatsu Godzilla monster movie. Yeah. I highly recommend Shin Godzilla. I enjoyed that Definitely, me too. Um, So let's get into the lightning round. Yeah, do you want to start off? I'll start us off. Uh, the I'll, I did find the highest and lowest grossing of the Godzilla movies in Japan. They're listed on the Wikipedia page. Uh, for some reason, the American one, the, the, none of the American information is out there. Box Office Mojo doesn't only goes back to like I think the eighties or something. And none of the Japanese, and none of the Godzilla movies are on there aside from the American released ones and Shin Godzilla and mm-hmm. the re-release of Gojira, which is weird. But um. According to the wiki, Godzilla's highest-grossing movies are King Kong vs. Godzilla, followed by Gojira, with the lowest-grossing being Terror of Mechagodzilla, all adjusted for inflation. And then the highest-grossing Godzilla picture worldwide is the Legendary Pictures, although adjusted for inflation, I believe the 98 one does uh, overtake it. Um, Let's see. The town in the Legendary Godzilla where we see the nuke coming by on the train, is also the town from the TV show Once Upon a Time. Oh, nice. Um, Legendary Pictures released their version of Godzilla on the 60th anniversary of the of Gojira, which is also uh, the same thing they did with Final Wars in 2004, which was really, it was released in time for the 50th anniversary. Nice. Um... The original Godzilla was heavily scarred to mirror the marks of atomic bomb survivors. Wow, nice. I didn't even catch that. Um, Godzilla got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2004 to coincide with his 50th anniversary. Uh, At the beginning of Legendary Godzilla, Ken Watanabe is dressed as A.G. Tsuburaya. Tsuburaya wore a hat, glasses, and suit jacket, just like Watanabe, every day that he worked at Toho. Uh... One of George Takei's earliest credits as an actor is in the Godzilla Raids Again dub, which is the second movie, and uh, was also released under Gigantus the Fire Monster for a short period of time, because apparently they didn't think people would notice it's a Godzilla movie. 
And I think one of his most notorious lines is in a, t in a way to try and cover for the, the lip work, uh, banana oil. There's just a there's just a there's just a point during the movie where uh, the the lead actor is talking to the, his female love interest and he's like huh, banana oil. I make a joke about it. I forgot to mention I did a I tried to do a Godzilla retrospective in the lead up to the legendary pictures, but it fell apart. But yeah, I did. I only got as far as King Kong, I think, or maybe Mothra. But uh, yeah, it was. I should try that again at some point. But yeah, banana oil. <laughs> Because I had nothing else to put there. <laughs> the American distribution for the Heisei series was halted after scene in Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah depicted a World War II battle in the Pacific, where Godzillasaurus, the precursor to Godzilla, killed American soldiers. Yeah, there was that period in the 90s where you didn't see the new Godzillas come out because that's what that was the big thing that happened. I mean, apparently there were even talks between organizations dedicated to the World War II who said that was in poor taste. And even Ishiro Honda said he didn't like that scene. I, a lot of people have also said that it was because the villains from the future were Anglo, were white guys. But as far as we, as far as I could tell, it was more the, more about this. I mean, people also speculated that it was about um, uh, economic tensions between uh, Japan and the U.S. Apparently there was trade, uh, a kind of trade war or something going on where it's like they were there were struggles between people getting paid on both sides or something that that was the reason but it was mainly this one scene the one scene where godzilla the this dinosaur that becomes godzilla kills a bunch of american soldiers okay and um yeah that was it was a weird one but uh, uh the immigration officer in the police station in legendary pictures godzilla is akira takarada Akira Takarada, star of the original 1954 Godzilla, uh, the character of Ogata, the, the main lead yeah, the, from that one. the Navy diver guy. Exactly. There is a species of dinosaur named Gojirasaurus. Ironically, only the size of its relative, the Dilophosaurus. <laughs> yeah, you'd think naming a dinosaur after Gojira, you'd want it to be like a T-Rex or something. Nope. It's like... Two feet tall. No, not two feet tall. Yeah, uh, three feet tall, maybe. Yeah. It's, it's the little dinosaur that spits acid at, at uh, Newman in, in Jurassic Park. That's so fucking dumb. <laughs> I hate I that so much. Uh, uh, the iconic roar was made when composer Akira Ifukube rubbed a pine tar resin-covered glove on a string on one of the strings of a contrabass. He then took that sound and slowed it down, and that's how you get that kind of resonance as he... Cause it's it's um a coated glove sliding up and down on a stringed bass. And then you know it's slowed down and to make make it sound deeper. Yeah. And then the most commonly used onomatopoeia for the roar is screeonk. S K R E E O N K. And then depending and then depending on how long you want the roar, the e's are added into in the middle of it. Yeah, but that is our episode on Godzilla. Oh yeah, and we'll be happy to come back and do more. We we'll, we might do an episode on Shin Godzilla if there's demand for it. Yeah, or, or any of the other we, stuff. Oh god, imagine if the people demanded an episode on Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. What if they wanted one on the ninety-eight episode ever in this entire series? Or maybe we'll do like a Mystery Science Theater and cover me the Megalon one. Yeah, 
I, uh, I yeah. do want to do one on Tokusatsu though at some point. So oh, definitely. Happen. That's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, I'll have to get that book and read that book first. I'll put a link to that book also in the show notes. Um, but yeah, let's get wrapped up here. Next week's topic is the Tatami Galaxy, a 12-episode anime that you can find for free at Funimation.com. I've watched the first few, and I like it a lot. Uh, be prepared to read, though, because there's a lot of... Like Shin Godzilla, there's a lot of talking very quickly. Um, and the reading list for next week is just the t- watch the Tatami Galaxy next two weeks from now. Yeah, uh, which you could, which also you will be able to find through the app Verb, which will probably be how I'll watch the series. VRV, it's uh, Crunchyroll teamed up with Funimation, Rooster Teeth, Rift Tracks even. Like, there's a whole bunch of people. CISO joined Verb, too. And it's um, ad, it's ad-based for the free model or their subscription. Uh, but that's, that's probably how I'm going to watch, watch the, watch the anime for next time. Uh, in case you don't want to go straight to Funimation for your stuff. If you do have any facts about Tatami Galaxy or, uh, Godzilla, uh, any kind of stories you want to tell us about, about what we've covered, questions for the next episode or corrections for this episode, uh, send all those to Majide Podcast, M-A-J-I-D-E Podcast at gmail.com. Um, if you like me and how I sound and things I say, you can find me at GameKiwi.net, which will link you to my YouTube, where you can find more links to my Patreon, my Twitch, all that good stuff. Uh, I cover video games there, and I mostly stream. Uh, I do some Let's Play stuff, too. John, where can they find you? I'm all over the place. Mo- well, all over the place being on uh, various podcasts for Gumby Cat Networks, our host site. Uh, my main one is Popcorn Junkie, where I review the latest movie releases here in America, and as well as go into topics about filmmaking in general. And then I also run a D&D podcast called Tragic Missile, where uh, Jim Hansen and a bunch of other people I've met through the Still Buffering Facebook groups, uh, all, we all got together and we we're running a D&D campaign. Uh, we're starting with the Minds of Fandelver, uh, which is the starter set campaign, and then eventually we're hoping to start doing homebrew stuff. And I, th- I also do Phantom of the Podcast with uh, our uh, network founder Vanessa Van Alstein, and I think that's the big stuff. Those are the big ones that's act- that are actually available to to the people. Okay, uh, big thanks to God Shamishen for use of their song "Dragon String Attack" for a strike off the album "Dragon String Attack." Check it and their other music out on Google Play, iTunes or at music.godofshamisen.com. And another big thanks to Daniel Johnson for making our logo. You can see more of his work at danieljohnson.design. Last but not least, thanks to the Gumby Cat Networks for having us, and be sure to catch all the other great shows they have to offer. But until next time, where we'll be talking about the Tommy Galaxy, I'm Mike. I'm John. Take it easy, everyone. 